Well, if you would, turn to 2 Timothy. Uh, that is the study that we've been looking at. I just want to give you a, a little heads up. We meet next week and we will complete our study of this book. <clears throat> and starting on June the 20th, so there's a bit of a gap, June the 20th, we're bringing in uh, Richard Blumenstock. Uh, Rich is a former colleague of mine. He has taught evangelism, how to share your faith, uh, to a variety of groups. Uh, and some of you have, if you've traveled with me, Rich and I co-teach together. He is spectacular, and this is one of his great loves. And uh, I assure you he's not dry. I assure you it's going to be uh, refreshing. And he said one of the first things we need to do is we'll have to define what is the gospel. What is it that we're supposed to share? And then he's going to talk about how do you share your faith, etc. So um, we're meeting four times with Rich. That kind of carries us over the summer. And then after Labor Day, uh, we'll begin a study of the gospel of John. So uh, looking forward to that. And uh, you don't want to miss Rich. It's a great time to maybe bring some guys along. It's just four sessions. That's it. Again, it's from 7 to 7.50. And we'll just continue the same format that we do for these Bible studies. So, uh, Rich Blumenstock, mark your calendars. And that's on that card as well. And uh, our website has the dates. I'll put uh, more information on our website soon. And I'll let you know when that's there. Well, let's turn to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. Uh, just to kind of refresh our memory, uh, I don't know about you, but two weeks my mind kind of <laughs> goes into another direction. These are the final words of Paul to Timothy, his son in the faith, uh, not a literal son. Um, but we talked about the opening where Paul greets the call to persevere is in chapter 2. That's really the, the theme of this whole letter, is being a good soldier for Christ. He states that specifically in chapter 2. And then the latter part of two was a call for correctness, orthodoxy, both in your practice as well as in your message. Now he takes it and he's going to show how that orthodoxy holds up in light of the false teachers. And that's what we see here in chapter 3. So let's turn 3.1. It says, but understand this, that in the last days, uh, Christianity is apocalyptic. We are in the end. We look to the end. And we see this time and time again in the New Testament. Difficult times will come. For people will be, and listen to this laundry list. This is is a girl you wouldn't want to date. (laughs) Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant. Uh, By the way, boastful is usually associated with idolatry. Uh, It's because you de-elevate God and you elevate self. Um, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Isn't that an interesting one to throw in the coffer? You know, the coffer. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, which means they're unforgiving, slanderous, <clears throat> without self-control, savage, opposed to what is good, treacherous, and that term means they, they lack loyalty, uh, reckless, Uh, or we might say hot-headed, conceited, loving pleasure rather than loving God. I told you it was a list you don't want your kids, you know, you don't want someone to date someone like that, right? They will maintain the outward appearance of religion. Isn't that great? (laughs) They look good. They can talk it. I got all the ritual, but will have repudiated its power. And that's always a reference to the Holy Spirit. So they discredit the Holy Spirit. Reminds me of 1 John that they are in the camp, but they are really not among, they're not one of us. (laughs) They have infiltrated the camp. 
And it says, so avoid people like these, for some of these insulate themselves, or literally they warm themselves into the households and captivate weak or silly women. (laughs) We'll get to that in a minute. Who are overwhelmed with sins and led by various passions. Such women are also seeking instruction, yet never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And just as Janus and Jamrus opposed Moses, um, these are two magicians from the time of the Exodus. Uh, you won't find them in the book of Exodus. You're going, who, well, where'd they get the names? This is from Jewish tradition that uh, two of them are identified. So these people who have warped minds, that means they're unable to discern, and are disqualified or unfit in the faith, oppose the truth. They oppose the leaders. And they oppose the message. That's the very issue Paul's addressing, isn't he? Leadership, its character, and the message. And they oppose all of this. But they will not, <clears throat> they will not go much further, for their foolishness will be obvious to everyone, just as it was like with Janus and Jamres. You, and that's as emphatic, however, have followed my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, as well as the persecution and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. I endured these persecutions, and the Lord delivered me from them all. Now, in fact, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You're thinking, thanks, Hophetus. This is such a great text for this morning. But that's the case, isn't it? says, these evil people and charlatans will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and even deceiving themselves. You, however, must continue in the things you've learned and are confident about. You know who taught you and how from infancy you have known the holy writings which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here's a very familiar text, but this morning I want you to try to set it aside, the familiarity, and look at it in a fresh with fresh lenses. Every scripture is inspired by God. It's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That, or so that, the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. Well, Paul, is, as we've seen, he lays out what he expects of Timothy, and now he's going to further bring that home in light of the false teachers. And what we see, and they go hand in hand. There is no doubt about it. That is one's character and one's message. <laughs> Don't miss it, right? Uh, and we're going to see that here. And, and first is the description. So let's go back to verses 1 through 5, and let's look at the description <clears throat> of these false teachers. He gives 18 vices or 18 ills. This is not uncommon in first century literature. This is not meant to be exhaustive. In other words, they're bad dudes, <laughs> is what he's saying. They, these are people you don't want to mess with, is what he's highlighting. And, and I mentioned Towner in his epistle, which is there in your notes, or excuse me, in his commentary. This list does not intend to lay each sin mentioned at the feet of the false teachers in Ephesus. Or Ephesus is where Timothy is serving. But the picture it paints suggests that Paul regarded the false teachers as actual deviants from the norms established by his gospel, whose deviance endangered their faith and the faith of the followers. That's the great scare. It's not only that they deceive themselves, they deceive others. And in particular, in this case, it's silly women, which we'll get to, as I said. Uh, 
So it's not meant to be exhaustive. It's interesting as we see, uh, as we look at these laundry list of vices through the New Testament, it's always in association with the eschaton. In other words, it ain't getting any better. (laughs) It's kind of the idea. And again, you're saying, thanks, I woke up for you to tell me something I already know. Yes, I understand that. And I give you several uh, references that you can look at. Here's something else that's interesting. The list is bracketed by self-love. Very interesting. It's self-pleasure, a love of pleasure, etc. In other words, God is eclipsed by one's own person and fulfilling their own desires. And just, I was going to give examples, but I don't think we have to think long and hard, do we? Just read the news, listen to the music, watch a video or two. <laughs> it's the world we live in, isn't it? Um, and Marshall brings this out in his commentary. It's, it centers, it orbits around self-centeredness. That's the whole point. That's idolatry. First John ends with, keep yourself from idols. He's not talking about little statues of Artemis that you put on your desk. <laughs> That's not what he's addressing. He's talking about that which eclipses your love for God. Be very careful. One of the sites we go to when we go to Israel is Tel Dan. Dan, as you know, is a tribe that's not mentioned in Revelation. They, they, uh, they fall into deep idolatry, uh, don't they, up in the north. And you see that. And, you, and it's interesting with Dan, if you've been to Tel Dan, it's a beautiful place. Running water, green trees. You, you have to pinch yourself. Am I really in Israel when I'm in Tel Dan? All the comforts of life, all that it entails, it, it stripped their eyes on the Lord and their dependence on Him. I mean, Israel's not, don't, this is recorded, but <laughs> we'll delete it. Uh, Israel's not a beautiful country. I mean, it's, you know, it's not like Switzerland or something. And you go, why did God give you that parcel of land? He tells us in Deuteronomy, so you will depend on me. Unlike Egypt that has the Nile, to, you're going to have to depend on the rain. You're going to have to depend on me. And, and the problem with when we start looking to ourselves and, and all that we have, it's so easy to, to forget God. And that's the problem with the false teachers. Well, I'm starting to preach, so let's look at the notes again. What Paul is asking is that you avoid them. There's tough love. And it seems to contradict what he wrote in chapter 2, verse 25, when he said, correcting opponents with gentleness so that they might, in chance, they might repent but he doesn't seem to suggest that here. Why? Why is there this, what it would seem to be a discrepancy? You see that in chapter 2, verse 25? He says, oppose the opponents with gentleness, etc. Seek their restoration. Here he says, avoid them, cast them out. What's, how can you explain this discrepancy or apparent discrepancy? One comes before the other. Good. Ron, you, you want to say something? Did I put you on the spot? I put you on the spot. All right. Um, I mentioned there in your notes, uh, I, think one, I think you're right, Rock. Uh, one is, is, is trying to woo them uh, back. But if there's not going to be that wooing, if there's not going to be see some repentance, then you're going to have to deal with them and excommunicate them. It's clearly the language that's seen here. So we see this description of the false teachers, these folks that are the charlatans, and he goes on to describe them, and he states that their target is the weak women in verse 6, right? For some of these 
insulate themselves or they warm themselves, warm themselves into the households. They creep in, they infiltrate, they seek for destruction. Um, some people see this and go, ah, there he is. Paul was a misogynist. He did not like women uh, or he's a product of his culture. And, and in one sense, he is a product of his culture because in first century practices, uh, false teachers or new religions, according to even Josephus, the Jewish historian, they would attack, they'd go after the women. They, then you win the household. Uh, they had time on their hands in that, in that regard. The men were out working, so this is a perfect target. But... Does that mean that Paul had a lower view of women? I don't think so. Let me give you several other reasons. Uh, it's not an inclusive statement of all women, right? He's just picking out a few who he says are weak. They're the ones who are looking to uh, find something new, but they're not going to change. Did you catch that? They'll listen, but with no intent of changing. <clears throat> and Paul does the same with men. Uh, he lists several men by name who are a problem in the church. So he singled out men. He can single out women. Doesn't mean that women are inferior. And certainly elsewhere, Paul uses women in his ministry, right? Give me a woman that Paul utilizes or works with for the cause of Christ. Priscilla. Quill and Priscilla. Who else? She's in Philippi. Well, actually, she's from Thyatira, but she sells purple in Philippi. Who is she? Lydia. All right, there's women all over the place that uh, Paul works with. Uh, so don't see this as, ah, uh, there it is. Paul's, uh, he hates women and all this, and women are oppressed and a low view of women. No, I don't see that at all uh, in the context or as well as the rest of the New Testament. So uh, questions on that? that? That's usually attacked by scholars. Uh, any questions on that one? Again, they're, they're, these false teachers are, are looking for um, an easy prey, is what they're looking for. Uh, a way to get that uh, message out. Um, there's also a sexual connotation here, too. I, I think you could see that in the laundry list that we saw earlier, that uh, they don't lack, they have uh, no self-control, they love pleasure. There is an idea as well that by attracting <laughs> these uh, women, that there's more to it than just simply that they're vulnerable. Um, so sadly, these are the false teachers that we're dealing with. And he equates them with Janus and Jambres. Now, again, as I mentioned, these were magicians at the time of Paul. And I even list some, or excuse me, time of Moses. And I list you the sources there under verses 8 and 9 of the second page. They came to represent uh, Moses' archnemesis, who would counter his displays of divine power. Paul, like Moses, are representatives of the Lord. They have been sent with a message, and, and these false teachers are like those who opposed Moses. And notice how he describes them. Did you see this here? How he describes this list? They oppose the godly leaders in their message. <clears throat> They are unable to discern truth, otherwise they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. Third, they are unfit for faith, and they are increasing in their depravity. There was a book that came out a while back, oh, 10 years ago, 
and uh, it had embraced a postmodern view of the gospel and of the scriptures and so forth. And one of my co- colleagues wisely stated, just give him time. He's already on the fence, and, and, and just give him time. Wait till the next couple books come out, because that trajectory is going to go like this. And he was right. He was spot on. Why? Because as we see here, the message goes hand in hand with one's character. Right? That's the problem. As we see that here with his teachers. And that's what Paul's trying to say to Timothy. Listen, you have the message, but your character must also match it. That was the problem with the the religious rulers, right? Matthew 23, Paul says, do what they say, but don't do what they do. What a horrible indictment uh, statement. Well, Paul then gives his own perspective, his own life. He says, he looks at what he's Timothy is not to be. Now he says, let's look at what you are supposed to be. And what we see is nine strengths that uh, he wants to highlight here in the text. Uh, Give me some of those. What does he list to to Timothy? You're to follow what? My teaching? What else does he say? In verse 10. My way of life, so my conduct. What else? Yeah, you're dealing with both the theoretical and the practical. Um, It's amazing. Paul's saying to little Timothy, listen, here's how you're to behave. Use me as a model. Uh, Let me set the example for you and how you're to to function, how you're to operate. And obviously, perseverance is what governs this list, isn't it? Um, it, That's what's driving this whole epistle. And Paul's perseverance in the midst of it all and, and then he even lists those. He mentions Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Why would he list these? Anyone know where Timothy's from? This map's hard to see. Lystra. Yeah. Derby Lystra is where little Timothy's from. He had a front row seat at the whole, all of this that occurred during Paul's first missionary journey as Paul went over to Antioch. Uh, don't confuse it with this Antioch. That's where Christians were first called the way, uh, where Paul was sent out of. This is Antioch, Pisidian, uh, Iconium, and Lystra. <clears throat> and, I, and I put what occurred in those spots at one of them, Lystra, is where Paul was stoned and left for dead. Right? And he says, Timothy, you were there. You saw how I persevered in the faith despite the adversity we faced at Antioch, then at Iconium, and then at Lystra. <clears throat> and he's saying, you need to do the same. Don't, don't turn your eyes upon yourself. Keep your eyes on Christ. And in fact, keep your eyes on me as an example as well, which is an amazing statement. <clears throat> and, and then, in case Timothy missed it, he says in verse 12, in fact, anyone, anyone who follows Christ is going to suffer. You, you, there's, no, there's no exemption from this. Uh, depending on where you live in the globe, uh, some are worse than others. I, I was told a stat recently, I don't know if it's true, in the last five years, more Christians have served as martyrs than in the first five centuries of the church. That's amazing. <clears throat> And, and, and the Bishop of Baghdad stated, Christianity in Iraq no longer exists. It's done. They've been eradicated. And um, talking to a Palestinian believer, uh, he's trying to seek Israeli citizenship because he said it's, it, he said it's only that or I, I have to immigrate. 
He said there are hardly any Christians left in our community, which was once almost fully believers. So uh, there is a mass exodus that is occurring and persecution, and the text reminds us we shouldn't be surprised. We kind of forget that living in this country. But he said, no. And in fact, these evil people are only going from bad to worse. And you need the list? He just gave it to you in the first part of chapter 3. It's a pretty bad list. And, and so how do you shore up? How do you persevere in all of this? How do you remain faithful? He gives the solution in the latter part of 3, right? Not only Paul's example, but far more significant is what you have been taught. Traditions, traditions, right? <clears throat> but it's not just the traditions. And notice what he says. You, however, continue the things you've learned. Well, that's found in chapter 1, verse 5. That was his mother and his grandmother who taught him as a baby. But <clears throat> he's saying not only what you've been taught, but what you, you know to be true. That's what you stand fast in, the holy writings become the, the governing, the arching, uh, overarching guidelines. Now, obviously, in this con context, we're dealing with the Hebrew Scriptures. We're dealing with the Old Testament. Uh, New Testament has uh, not been canonized yet, um, though I think you can apply that as we see elsewhere in the New Testament. Uh, secondly, <clears throat> the purpose is for granting wisdom and salvation. And you see that there in your notes, um, and, and the text clearly states that. Um, he says this in verse 15, it gives you wisdom for salvation through faith. The goal of it is Christ. <clears throat> That's the purpose of the writings. Um, wouldn't you love to have been on the Emmaus Road when Christ opened up the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and walked them through how it all pointed to Christ? And you want to talk about a seminary course, that would have been fantastic. Uh, I'd have paid money for that one. That, you know, walking through the scriptures and saying, this is me. And the means is by divine sovereignty. Look what, he, or divine uh, oversight. Look what he says. Every scripture, verse 16, is inspired by God. Now, careful. <laughs> um, the, the, every scripture means every piece of it is inspired by God. Literally, the word is theonatus. It means God-breathed. Scriptures were never dictated. Second uh, Peter states that the New Testament writers, the writers of Scripture, were moved like a sailboat in the wind by the Lord. Uh, the human side of our authors is clearly seen. Luke, when he talks about the miracle of the withered hand that's restored, he tells us it's the right hand. Luke's a doctor. Matthew talks about the coin in the fish's mouth. You won't find that event in the other Gospels. Why would he highlight that? He was a tax collector. In fact, he uses a, a specific word for coin you won't find in the rest of the New Testament. It's a very technical term, tax collector. The human side is still seen, but in this mystery, there's, it's, it's God who's overseeing it because ultimately it's God who is speaking. And that's what Luke or uh, Paul is highlighting here, every scripture is inspired by God. It doesn't mean it's an inspiring. That's the Reader's Digest. Um, it's inspired by God himself. <clears throat> and he says every scripture. <clears throat> Can I do a little ditty with you? Turn to Matthew 5. I want to show you something. This is significant. Matthew 5, Jesus said something very similar on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I tell you the truth. 
and this is 518, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke, if you had the good King James Version, it says jot or tittle, of a letter will pass from the law until everything takes place. Jesus said even the smallest letter, which in the Hebrew alphabet is a yod, or a, a part of a letter will come to fruition. We have parts of letters as well. In fact, have I showed you this before? The word fun. If we add a tittle, we have pun. Changes the meaning just with a tittle. It's true in Hebrew as well. All right, some people have fun when they make puns. Others have fun when they run. I just added another tittle. Or when they eat buns. But I don't know. I added tittle, it changes the whole meaning. And Jesus said, not a jot or a tittle will pass away. Why? Because as Luke states, Luke, excuse me, Paul states in 2 Timothy 3, it's God breathed. God oversaw all of this. And so when Luke is writing or when Paul is writing or another a New Testament writer, it's God speaking. Right? And, and because every scripture is inspired by God, notice what he says. He gives us four statements about the usefulness of Scripture. Number one, he says it's, it's, import, it's significant for teaching, or we might say for doctrine. All right? That's a positive aspect. There's a, it's also got a negative aspect. It's, it's useful for reproof and also for correction. Reproof is telling somebody, don't do that. Correction is, don't do it, but let me show you how to do it right. All right? So it's, 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 and it's also profitable for training. Notice, the first and the last are positive, the, second to the, the middle two are negative. But let me show you something else about this list that's very significant. The first two deal with doctrine. And the last two deal with duty or actions. Uh, when Paul pins the letter uh, to the church at Rome, he'll spend the first 11 chapters dealing with doctrine. The latter part's dealing with duty. Ephesians 1 through 3, doctrine. The last part, 4 through 6, duty. <laughs> That's what you see here. And what does Jesus say to the church at Ephesus who thought they lost their first love? I don't have that warm, fuzzy feeling I had when I first knew Jesus. What does uh, Jesus say to the church at Ephesus? Remember where Christ has brought you, doctrine, and do what you first did, duty. They go hand in hand. If you have only doctrine, you're going to have the frozen chosen, right? Right? And they can pontificate till they're blue in the face, but they're a bunch of sour saps. Uh, if all you have is duty, you're going to have willy-nilly that has no grounding in their the, you know, theology, etc. Uh, they'll give a cup in Jesus' name, but there's no gospel attached to it. And that's a problem as well. They both go hand in hand, and you see that here in chapter 3, verse 16 of 2 Timothy. Every scripture, all of it, every piece, every jot and tittle, he states, is inspired by God. It's God-breathed, and as we see, it's useful for the following. At verse 17 concludes with the purpose. The ultimate goals, obviously, are for equipping the saints so that they might glorify God. But notice, what are some of the, the implications in verse 17 that we see? Help me out here. What's he state that Scripture accomplishes? 
or, or what needs to be associated? Do you know what I'm asking in verse 17? What are the implications in 17? Help me out. I've done a lot of talking this morning, too much. Yes, Dick. It's a, it's a Yep. The whole for and, and, and you're right, because look what it says in verse 17. This isn't let me let me state this very carefully. It's it's for those dedicated to God. It isn't for every person. It's every person dedicated to God. There's a description that you know. Um, that's why my advisor back in Aberdeen <clears throat> who teaches New Testament is agnostic at best because he's not dedicated to God. So this, is in a, this has no real value to her apart from being a nice history archaeological study for her. You know, that's all it is to her. Um, yeah, welcome back. <laughs> yep. That's right, Dan, and, and that's what you see here, uh, and the, the, for every good work. That's the end game. Good. What else do we see here? Yes. It's sufficient. There, there's not another part of the equation you need to add to this, do you? There's nothing there. Thank goodness. What else? Sufficient is the only way to do it as well. It's the only way possible. Good, I love it. Thoroughly equipped is long term. Anything else? You know what I love? It, it doesn't say a person dedicated to God who has a lot of talents or abilities. Right? That's what I love. That's why a, a five-year-old uh, or a 95-year-old the truths here are true, right? They, they ring crystal clear. Every person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. And great. Any other insight into the text there? This is great. We could, we could preach this. We could run with this sucker. It's a great verse. Uh, we miss it. We, I hear 3.16 a lot, and you commit it to memory, but don't miss 17. That's the, that's the end game. So that, the purpose being, the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every... So it's all the, the, the ability and the resources necessary to do what God has called us to do, Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship. I was thinking through the intersect, and if you've, some of you are new, normally what we try to do is give you two or three things to walk away with. I'm going to do something a little different today. As, as we reflect on uh, the vices, it's easy to say, oh, that, those nasty false teachers, you know, send them to hell in a hat basket. Yay for them. But I, I mentioned here in your notes, living in a comfortable, materialistic, and self-centered culture, <laughs> we can easily be lured by these vices. I'm amazed at the, uh, the rhetoric sometimes of my kids that we have to correct <laughs> the sense of entitlement, uh, and it just comes from the culture we live in. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, you know, um, we need to ensure that our lives, I mentioned this in your notes, need to be governed by the work of the Holy Spirit. So what I thought, since all Scripture is God-breathed, I've given you a, a verse 
to each of the vices. Well, I've only selected a few of the vices. Uh, and as I look through this list, and I, I said select one, and don't select a bunch, <laughs> but select one that you'd like to address this week and take that verse and commit it to memory. Um, <clears throat> and the first one I put are, are lovers of selves. And so the verse that I was thinking of is Mark 12, 31. I've tried to include all the verses in here. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Perhaps it's lovers of money. Uh, maybe you're struggling a little bit with uh, the pocketbook. 2 Corinthians 9, God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> um, we have a board member who says, I I'm just a conduit of God's resources. That's a great line. Um, boastful, Psalm 34, my soul makes its boast not in myself but in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Great verse to commit to memory. Perhaps it's arrogance or pride. Psalm 149.4, For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the humble with victory. Perhaps you struggle in an area of an ungratefulness. Colossians 3, Let the word of God Christ dwell in you richly uh, and singing with gratitude in your hearts uh, as mentioned there. Unholiness, 1 Peter 1. So I've tried to give you the positive side of it, but with the verse rather than a negative. Be holy. Unloving, 1 John 3, for this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Um, that's the area I'm going to deal with this week, just so you know. Um, it's easy uh, after coming off a trip, being so caught up in busyness. I've had a couple people email me, and I'm like, eh, deal with your problem. <laughs> I've got too much to do right now. Uh, that's horrible. You didn't hear me say that. Um, so I thought, no, I've got to work on, on loving one another and uh, putting others first. So uh, 1 John 3 is the text I'm going to commit to memory. Without self-control, Titus 2, urge younger men to be self-controlled. Uh, it can be true of older men. Uh, no one's exempt. Treacherous, Proverbs 3, do not let loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. Uh, treacherous, again, we're dealing with a lack of loyalty, a lack of faithfulness. It shocks me what I see uh, in church or in business. And loving pleasure rather than loving God, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Those are just a few, but uh, it's a laundry list that, yes, I know it describes the false teachers, but they're, they're, they're landmines for anyone in the Christian faith, aren't they? And so I've given a few verses that you can run with. Take, write it down on a three-by-five card and just, you know, I fold it up and stick it in my pocket because that's annoying to me to have paper in my pocket. And, and so then I keep pulling it out going, what is that in my pocket? Ah, that's the verse. And I, I or put it on, well, I was going to say put it on your dashboard, but <laughs> the way some of you drive, I've seen it. Don't do that. Uh, no, uh, no, I'm just teasing. Uh, but put it somewhere that's prominent so you remember. Or perhaps you need to take another step. And for me, it's I've got to respond to, there's three emails I have to respond to. It's going to take me forever to do it, but I'm just going to have to, uh, to show the love of Christ. Uh, so that's what I've got to do this week. So I'm committed publicly to you on that. But here, there's just a list to run with. Um, I, again, why the Scripture? Uh, Paul states, all Scripture is inspired and is profitable. B.B. Warfield, who wrote a book on the inerrancy of Scripture, taught at Princeton uh, one of the Princetonians in the early 1900s, 
he stated, it's the bottom of your notes, the Bible is authoritative for it is the word of God. It is intelligible for it's the word of man. Because it is the word of man in every part and element, it comes home to our hearts. That's the mystery, isn't it? That God should use us and he should use men of old who have written these scriptures because it is the word of God in every part and element. It is our constant law and guide. Questions or comments on the text today? Pretty straightforward. We know that. But it's a reminder I think we all need, especially in the day we live in. And it's easy to uh, say, oh yes, that site over there just doesn't have it. We're, we're the frozen chosen. And forget, ah, be careful. Cling to the word. Yeah, yeah Paul. It is. I know. Reminds me of Paul's words to the elders at Ephesus at Miletus in Acts chapter 20. You realize Paul had it all that you could humanly want, right? Uh, We've uh, talked a little bit about Paul. He was a Roman citizen, which was very rare in the first century, especially as a Jew. He was a Jew of Jews. Uh, He came from a very wealthy family, studied with the best of the best in Jerusalem, sent from Tarsus. And he says in Acts 20, I count it all loss for the cause of Christ. And that's the secret you see even in in verse 12, right? Who live godly lives in Christ Jesus. That's the only way this makes sense. Otherwise, if it wasn't for Christ, yeah, let's jump into verses 1 through 2 with open arms. Let's love ourselves. Great. Count it all loss, Acts 20. Great, great statement. (laughs) Uh, Well, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. And as Paul just mentioned here, uh, the words are so relevant. <laughs> it shouldn't surprise us because as Paul wrote to Timothy, in the last days, and those are the days we live in, uh, Father, we need to be faithful. And I'm, every time I read chapter 3, um, it's a challenge to think that Paul could tell Timothy, fight the faith like I have fought the faith. And Lord, my prayer for each one in this room is that we can tell those we mentor, those we come in contact, those who have us who have children to say, live the faith like I live the faith. What a challenge. <laughs> and Father, uh, I have my warts, and you know those. And uh, uh, we've got some things that we all need to address. And Lord, just help us this week to t- take one of these areas, not a ton of them, just one, commit some scripture to memory and, and really focus and be intentional about being men who follow passionately after Christ. Father, thank you for your word, how sweet it is. These ancient words that are true, they are vibrant, they are 
a source of life and exhortation for us. And thank you for giving us these words and, and, a, and, a, and communicated in a form that we can not only understand, but we can live out through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.